You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. How are you? We are, well, good morning. We are on the home stretch of Easter. It's in two weeks, and I hope that you are already asking and talking to people about Easter. We have been uh, taking a walk uh, with the cross over the last month, uh, looking at the seven last words that Jesus spoke on the cross. And uh, we're going to take it all the way to Easter morning, and I am very, very excited. Easter is one of those days when people who generally don't ever go to church might just go back to 80% of people you ask will say yes. So uh, you might get one or two no's, but you'll get more yeses if you ask. So be sure to bring somebody on Easter. Leading up to Easter, it's Friday morning in Jerusalem, a warm April day already. The merchants are busy preparing for the holiday weekend. It's Passover, the most important holiday of the Hebrew people. It celebrates their freedom from Egypt. Thousands of years earlier, Moses had victoriously been led by God to to lead the Hebrew people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt and led them into, ultimately, their home that God had promised them, the promised land. So every year, as God had commanded, they celebrate the Passover, which is the title given to the last plague that turned the heart of Pharaoh to let them go. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments, and it was the uh, the last plague of Moses with Pharaoh was the angel of death that would go through all of Egypt and kill all the firstborn children, all the firstborn males. And God made it very clear that if you were to kill a lamb and put its blood on your doorpost and as a family eat that lamb, then that angel of death will pass over your house. And all the Hebrew people, and actually the Bible says a lot of Egyptians did as well. And so did some other foreigners that lived in the city. So when the angel of death came and they saw the blood of the lamb on the door, they passed over and they were spared. And ultimately that group of people are the ones that left Egypt and made their way to the promised land. So every year, as told by God, they they celebrate the Passover, the passing over of that death and that launch into free uh, freedom from slavery through the symbolism of that blood of that lamb. So every Passover was very, very significant as they slaughtered lambs and ate lambs meals and, and remembered. In fact, the entire Passover meal is a, is a remembrance of that event. So as all of Jerusalem is playing out the Passover on the outside of the city, out just past the Damascus Road, at a place called Skull Hill, there was another round of crucifixions that weekend. Three this time, two criminals and a man whose skin hangs in tatters, his face bruised and swollen, his eyes barely open, blood is everywhere, and a crown of thorns on his head. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Isaiah describes it this way in verse 14 of chapter 52. It says, but many were amazed when they saw him and his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human and from his appearance one would scarcely know that he was even a man this was jesus 
And at 9 o'clock, the Romans were very punctual. They stripped down the those that were to be executed, and the hammer and nails came down. With screams of pain and gasps, the splatter of blood, with mocking and weeping, Jesus, with two criminals, was nailed to the cross. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, he looks down and he sees those who were pounding those nails, who were shouting and mocking and making fun of him. And, and Jesus cries out a word of forgiveness. And he looks out at his tormentors and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he hung there on the cross between the two criminals, one turned to him and, and began to mock, and the other turned to him and actually began to ask for forgiveness. And he said, Remember me in paradise. And Jesus turns to this criminal and he says, truly today you will be with me in paradise. And Jesus spoke a word of grace and assurance. Moments later, as he looks down from the cross, as he's bearing the weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders, he looks down to see his earthly mother and one of his best friends, John. And he says to them, He says to this woman, he says, behold, your son, speaking to John, he says, behold, your mother. And though he carried the weight of the world, he spoke a word of love and concern and care for his family. At 12 o'clock, the earth went silent. And it was as if the sun was crying because it was dark for three hours. Panic, fear, anxiety, the mocking crowd turned to fear and dread. After three hours, the sun shined again and Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He began to sing a song. It was a quote of Psalm 22 and it was a psalm of victory, not a song of of despair. It was a song of declaration that he is truly the Messiah rescuing the world. What we have today are what follows. We're going to do two today. His breathing now rattled. Every gasp, a struggle, a fight for oxygen. His words now become moans and he cries out once again, the man in the middle is near death. We're going to pick it up in John 19, verse 28 today. He says, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, I want you to realize Jesus was fully alert. He was fully conscious. He knew everything that was going on from the pounding of that first nail to the very moment that he spoke this, knowing that everything had now been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled, fully aware of his mission. Jesus said, I am thirsty. This is six hours of pain and suffering that had begun at nine o'clock. He had refused to drink water or uh, uh, water and vinegar and wine earlier, but now he actually cries out for something to drink. His work complete, he now satisfies himself. Verse 29, it says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant. By the way, that's the exact same plant that God told them 
to wipe the blood on the doorpost with and to sprinkle on the altar the same type of plant for the, uh, for the Passover. And they lifted it up to Jesus' lips. Now, when you read I thirst, of, of all the seven sayings of Jesus, you might think that I thirst is, is possibly one of the most insignificant of them all. I mean, he's thirsty, right? It's pretty, pretty normal. Wow, he's thirsty. All right, let's move on to the next. You might, at first glance, think that it's not that important. It's the only reference that Jesus ever made during all of his suffering that said he was in need of anything, that said that he wanted anything. Why put a crown on his head? Well, when they did, he didn't say, oh, my head. When they nailed the nails into his hands, he didn't go, oh, my hands. When they nailed the nails into his feet, he didn't go, my feet, why? When they punched him in the face and pulled his beard out, he didn't say, my face. When they scourged him and beat him, he didn't say, oh, my back. But now, he says, I'm thirsty. It was just enough to moisten his lips so he could say a couple more things. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Almost dead, two things are spoken here. I thirst, and it is finished. The first seems almost trivial, but a closer look tells us this is more than a passing request. In fact, what Jesus was revealing in this next phrase was actually quite significant and quite powerful. As Jesus cries out, I thirst. I want to give you three things that that really jumps out to me about I thirst. And this is the first one. It reminds us that Jesus was truly human. It reminds us that that Jesus wasn't just a robot or, or, or God. He was also fully human. He was fully God. He was fully human. Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Jesus is God. And if you want to know him, you got to know Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus looks like, then, uh, then you need to seek his character. And if you want to know what God looks like, you need to seek Jesus. Because Jesus was the very visible image of the invisible God. The Bible says no man can see God and live. The Bible says no one has seen God and no one will see God. Jesus even said no one can see God and live except the son who is from the very essence or bosom, the very inside, the innermost of God himself. You want to see God? You need to know Jesus. He is the very image. goes on to say that Jesus has forever existed and he created all things and he is head over all things. But though he was fully God, the Bible is telling us when he says, I thirst, that he was fully human. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. He was flesh and blood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, the God in the flesh, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. First John 1 John 1.1 says it this way, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we now have seen with our own eyes, 
which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim the word of life. John is saying, you know what? God of all eternity past, we touched him. We saw him. We broke bread with him. We laughed with him. We walked with him. This is the truth. He wasn't just a spirit. He was flesh and blood like you and I. He tasted. He had a sense of smell. Jesus felt touch. He heard. He could see. He saw what we saw. He felt the emotions that we feel. He experienced the things that we experience, like hunger and tiredness. The Bible says he even grew tired and went to go sleep and that his heart was broken and that he had compassion. He was moved. And the Bible says he felt physical pain. And this is significant. Jesus, though he was God, chose to feel pain. Philippians 2.6, we kind of looked at this last week. I want to just take a look at it this week. Is who being in the very nature of God, that's Jesus, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to take, uh, to use to his own advantage. He didn't abuse it. He says, rather, he made himself nothing. He became a human by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, at this point, he had not slept for over 48 hours. He endured physical beating. He was suffering through the most painful means of torture ever devised on the planet. His loss of blood and body fluids was dehydrating him, and he was definitely going to be dying before the other two. Jesus, God in the flesh, is dying, and I thirst is a declaration that Jesus was truly human and God. The second thing that this phrase reminds me, it reminds me that Jesus is truly the Messiah. You see, that passage starts off, he says, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now, how does I thirst fulfill scripture? Him saying that is a fulfillment of scripture. He didn't just go, I'm thirsty. All right, let's get this thing over with. I'm, somebody give me a drink. He, so that scripture would be fulfilled, he declared and he said, I am thirsty. You see, this not only reveals a physical reality, but this is a very real spiritual, scriptural reality that Jesus is fully and truly and aware that he is the Messiah. Psalm 69.20 is what he was quoting. It says this, their results have broken, their insults have broken my heart and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity, if only one would turn and comfort me, but instead They gave me poison for food. They offered me sour wine for my thirst. He was fulfilling the scriptures of the great song, Psalm 69. He was not delirious or losing his mind. The smallest of details, he was aware. This is not some idle words of a suffering sad man, but the confident words of the promised Messiah who understood everything that he was doing. Here's the third thing that I thirst really speaks to me about is it, it reminds us about how truly Jesus loves us. How much Jesus truly loves you and he truly loves me. You see, I thirst showed and declared his purpose and resolve to be our savior. 
it shows that he took upon himself by choice to take on the pain and suffering of crucifixion for you and for me. He loved you so much. He loves me so much that he took on and endured the cross. He did not call on angels, though he could have, to end his suffering. Verse uh, verse 10 of 1 John 14 says this. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He suffered and he thirsted so that our suffering and thirst would forever be quenched. He loves you. He loves you. Every time you look at the cross and when you hear these words that he declared to those around him, to his mother and to his friend and to his heavenly father and to his tormentors, now he begins to wrap up what he knows he's called to do and he does all this. When he cries, I thirst, he's saying, I love you. I'm doing this for you. I don't have to do this, but I'm choosing to do this because I love you. His love for humanity had a price too. Think about this. The Bible says that when Jesus rose from the grave, he was glorified as the son of man. That means he kept a human form for the rest of eternity. Think about this. Before Jesus came to earth, he was a spirit being like the father who occasionally showed up in bodily form. Those are called Christophanies in the Old Testament. He would occasionally show up and and talk to men But when he became a man on that first Christmas, he became the son of man for the rest of eternity. So that when you get to heaven, you're not going to look at some big glowing light. You're going to see Jesus. That when you get to heaven, you're not going to just sense the presence of God. You're going to be able to see the face of God, Jesus. You see, I thirst is a reminder of his great love and sacrifice that he took on. It's called the kenosis of Christ. He poured out his form so that he might take on the form of a man and became like you and me so that you and me might know him. He didn't have to. He is now the image of the invisible God who we can now see and touch and know He's not a force. He's he's not like, may the force be with you. He's not an obscure blank something out there, the big guy in the sky who keeps the wheels turning. You know, he is on a throne and you can see him. In fact, the Bible says every one of you will see him. Not every one of you will spend eternity with him, but every one of you will see him. But the Bible says that every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee. So some of you, who are running from God right now, some of you that are just kind of going through the motions or here checking it out or maybe just here to to make somebody in your family or a friend happy, guess what? You're going to see Jesus. And you can either bow now and celebrate being part of his family or you'll bow later and you'll be cast out of his family forever. I thirst is that reminder of his great love for us. John 19, he says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with this, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He had spoken to his tormentors grace 
He had spoken to the criminal on the thief, uh, on the, to the thief and the criminal beside him, a word of assurance and love. He spoke to his mother a word of affirmation and a word of, of, of endearing love. He spoke to his father a completion of scripture and he speaks a thirst to remind us of his humanity. And now he speaks the greatest words ever spoken in the history of the world. He has spoken to all these other people, to a criminal, to his tormentors, to a mother, to a disciple, to his father in heaven. But now, but here, he speaks to all of creation. He speaks to the universe. He speaks the greatest words ever spoken in the history of the world. He breathed another sentence and he shouted one word. Actually, this phrase is one word in the original. It is the word tetelestai. So at that moment, he cried out, tetelestai. One word, one dynamic, powerful word. With one shout, that word means to complete. It means to finish. It means to bring to an end. It means mission accomplished. It means paid in full. It is a financial term that means discharged. Now I have here a stamp and uh, it says paid right on it. Now if you have a debt or bill, I'm not going to have you raise your hands if you have any debt because it's probably all of us. Um, Some of you may not, good for you. If you're you're a teen, you may not have any yet. (laughs) You'll join the club pretty soon. But you know what? When, when, when you get that opportunity to write paid on something, man, it's exciting, isn't it? I remember when I paid off our car. When we paid off our car, it was like, woohoo! It's like a, chains were broken off of us, and it was just a car. If you've ever had that joy of paying off a, a credit card bill or, or paying off some sort of debt or a house, if you've ever been that opportunity to be able to, to stamp paid on something, it's like, yeah, paid, discharge, leave me alone, creditors. You got nothing on me. I got, it is paid. It is, see that? It says paid. Jump back, right? You've, you've got something that is freedom. See, what Jesus cried on that cross was the stamp that said, sin paid. What did he pay for? What was finished? I want to take a moment to tell you about what was finished. What was tetelestai at that moment on the cross? First of all, it's this. Jesus left behind no unfinished business. Number one is the defeat of Satan. It is done. Satan had tormented mankind for thousands of years since the creation of the earth. He had controlled them with sin long enough. Jesus cried, Satan, you lose. Sin has lost and it is finished. It was the fatal blow to Satan. Everything that we do now, if you are a follower of Christ, is out of victory. We have already won if you are a Christian Satan is underneath your feet. You are not a slave to him any longer. The very first prophecy of Jesus in the Bible is in Genesis. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and God begins to tell Eve what she will be experiencing. 
because of her sin. And he begins to tell Adam what he will be experiencing because of his sin. And then the great first prophecy of Jesus is declared in Genesis 3.15. It says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, meaning the serpent, meaning Satan. He says there's always going to be a war between you and mankind. He says, and between your offspring and hers, meaning all of your minion, all your demons, and and all of you that have allowed this event to take place. Listen to this. And he will crush your head, and you will strike or bruise his heel. You see, at that moment, God said, something was going to happen, Satan. There's going to be a time where you're going to, Get your head crushed, and all you're going to do is bruise him. You see, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was put upon him. He received the sacrifice of our pain and suffering and the wrath of sin and justice. He received it. And at that moment, he stomped on the head of Satan and said, Yeah, you're crushed, and all you can do is bruise me. Because I will live, but you are done. See, when Jesus cried, it is finished. It was the fatal blow to Satan. We as followers, we operate now in a victory over Satan. The second thing that he had accomplished is that the prophecies of the Messiah mm, accomplished. He did it. Over 300 prophecies of the Messiah had just been fulfilled. In fact, every one of these sayings, all seven is a fulfilling, uh, is a fulfilled event of prophecy. His entire life, everything from where he lived and how he was raised and where he went, right down to the type of clothing he would wear and the things he would say and the things he would do, 300 plus prophecies about the Messiah were accomplished, complete, so that prophecy might be fulfilled, he said. It is finished. After Jesus rose from the grave, he talked to his disciples about this. And this is what he said in Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you. Because they didn't get it. Jesus, you're dead. He goes, guys, listen. I told you. I told you I would die. I told you I would be crucified. I told you that they would put me to death. But I told you I win. Why are you so down? Listen. I've won. He says this. He told them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning right here in your hometown, Jerusalem. See, Jesus fulfilled the scripture. When he says it is finished, he says complete. He leaves no unfinished business. Everything he did and said, he allowed to happen and was a fulfillment of God's word to prove that God is faithful and true and that he truly was the promised one. Here's a third thing that was finished right there at that moment is that the Old Testament law, this is a good one, the Old Testament law, fulfilled. You see, if you have a Bible... There's what's called the Old Testament and the New Testament, that old covenant and then the new covenant. Why do we call it the Old Testament and the Old 
covenant and the New Testament, the new covenant. Because Jesus on the cross fulfilled the Old Testament covenant. He says, it's done. It's fulfilled. I have completed everything that the Old Testament was talking about. From Genesis all the way to Nehemiah, all the way to Malachi, that story is my story of coming to you. I'm here. I've accomplished the mission. It is fulfilled. The law, the Ten Commandments, maybe you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. You see, the law, all it can do is tell us how bad we are. It cannot save us. You might do your best. Maybe you've never broken a Ten Commandment. I seriously doubt it. Uh, one or two of you might have lied before. Might have you, one or two of you might have cheated before. One or, one or two of you might have really deeply despised what somebody else had and when you wanted it. Maybe you've even murdered somebody or committed adultery. The Ten Commandments do not and cannot save us. All they do is tell us we're sinners. So the law, the Ten Commandments, and there's over 700 in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments are God's top 10 out of those 700. All they do is remind us we're sinners and we need help. They cannot save us. In fact, Matthew 5, 17 says, Think not that I've come to destroy the law, Jesus said, or the prophets. I'm not here to destroy them, but to fulfill them. In Romans 8, 3, the Apostle Paul says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh. He says, man, rules. They can't save you, because you know what? We can't keep rules. Some of you can't even drive the speed limit to church. Come on. I mean, you gotta, you got to get on your knees and repent after doing your taxes, some of you. you we are rebellious at heart. And the law cannot save us. All it does is reveal the flesh. We are weakened by our flesh, by our sin nature. And that's a problem because no matter how hard we try to keep the rules, we can't. And God is holy. He is perfect. We are not. So no matter how hard we try, we fail in the eyes of God. But God did this. He says, God, what we failed to do and what the law failed to do, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 10, 4, he says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there be may, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, those laws, those ceremonies, that temple, Those regulations, they all pointed to the cross. They all pointed to something greater, something more significant. They prepared generations of people for just the right time when the Messiah would come and spread the gospel through his disciples to the world. They are all, all these rules and regulations are dissolved to make a way for better hope. Jesus says, the law fulfilled, complete. Here's the next thing, is that the final payment for sin is paid in full. The system of sacrifice was over. No longer did they need to sacrifice an animal and say, God, not us, that animal. God, not us, that lamb. God, not us, that goat. God, not us, that bull. No, God, not us, that goat. They no longer had to do that. Jesus said, it's finished, it's paid for. You don't have to do that anymore. It's fulfilled. What a beautiful picture. Sin is finally paid for. The work of salvation 
is complete. Hebrews 10, 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. There's not a single sacrifice they did in the Old Testament that ever forgave them of their sins. All it did was cover it temporarily. It's called atonement. It just covered it for a season, for a day. And then they had to do it all over again and again and again because it could never, ever take away our sins. But John the Baptist, you might remember that guy. He was baptizing at the Jordan River. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, a goat can't do it. A bull can't do it. Even a lamb can't do it. A person cannot do it. But God, the perfect sacrifice, God in the flesh, Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the rescuer, the savior, he is the lamb. The system of substitution has a final substitute. At that very moment when Jesus cried, Tetelestai! At that very moment, Jerusalem is sacrificing lambs in the city gates, slitting their throat and laying them on the altar to celebrate their freedom from Egypt while Jesus is celebrating. No, no, the lamb is slain for celebration from freedom from sin, from the bondage of sin and slavery to ourselves. The very Lamb of God is sacrificed while they were slitting the throats of lambs on the inside of the gate. Hebrews 10, 8 says it this way. And verse 8 says, First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, talking to God. He says, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. God says, I am the one who will save you. Those goats, those animals, that, those things you do to try to make God happy, by the way. Showing up here didn't make God happy. He's glad you're here, but you didn't bless him any. He's blessed with or without you. I'm blessed with you here, by the way. He's blessed with or without you. We can't impress him. We can't manipulate him. We can't control him by our actions, by our sacrifice. Well, God, I gave up a whole day's work to come to church on Sunday. I told my boss, so God, you know, bring, bring a promotion now. God, I, I sacrifice a lot. I'm, 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 I gave a little bit more, so I can't, I can't get the supersize. I sacrifice, Jesus. Those things you do, he doesn't desire, and he's not even pleased with them. Now, hear me out, because he, he does want our heart and our life and our actions and all those things are a reflection of our love but we don't do those to get his pleasure or to get him to be blessed or to get him happy. We do that because out of a reflection of our love for him, we love others and it responds in how we treat and do things in the world. But he says this, here I am. I have come to do your will. Talking about the Messiah. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He kicks out the law, the the animal sacrifice for the ultimate sacrifice. He says he kicks out the old, to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Everybody say once and for all. Once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when this priest... Jesus, when the high priest Jesus had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of God. That means a place of ultimate authority. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. See, this was the full satisfaction for sin and the final substitute. Some of you, you need to realize there's nothing you can do to win God's favor. There's nothing you can do to earn his salvation. There's nothing you can do to receive his forgiveness. Thank you. And I love this song. (laughs) This was the full satisfaction. Paid in full. Now, I've got uh, six flags uh, season pass this year. All right, who's got a season uh, six flags season pass? Uh, All like none of you. Actually, a few of you. All right, a few of you do. All right, good. And uh, you know what? Uh, That means we get to go anytime we want. I pay one time. And how many times do I have to pay for the rest of the year? How many times? None. Why? It's paid in full, baby. I don't need to pay every time I go to Six Flags. If I want to see a counselor, I'm paid in full. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to sit there and get my coupon redeemed. I don't have to, to, you know, and with my card, I also get discounts all through the park. And I get, if I go to Fiesta, Texas and San Antonio, guess what? I just flash in my card, paid in full. I get to go in and, and it's done. You see, this is what Christ has done for us, for you and for me. On the cross, he didn't buy us a season pass, by the way, because it was once and for all. He did it for all of time. And he doesn't give us a salvation card. Look, I got my card right here, God. See, I get to go to heaven, right? It's not what it's about. See, the mark of the cross is the blood of Jesus on our life. And what Jesus has done is he said, paid and full. You don't have to pay. You don't have to try. You don't have to work. You just have to understand and believe. When I saw the passion of the Christ, for example, for the first time, It was probably one of the most painful and humbling experiences I've ever experienced. It's one of the first movies ever that accurately portrayed the historical torment of a true crucifixion that Jesus would have experienced had he truly experienced all the things that the Bible said. So when you see the movie, The Passion of the Christ, regardless of what you think of Mel Gibson, he created something that was quite powerful and very historically accurate to what Jesus went through. And I remember watching that. The crowd was full, man. People had their popcorn and their large, super large, incredibly large, insanely, sinfully large drinks, <laughs> barrels, uh, you know, cup holders aren't even big enough to hold those drinks. You have to set them on the ground. And the buckets of popcorn and candy and wrappers, and all of a sudden, the first whip, nobody ate anything after that. I mean, when we left the theater, entire full boxes and bags of popcorn and candy were on the seats. Drinks were left undrank. Because as you saw the price that Jesus paid for us being unveiled before our eyes on screen, we were humbled and broken, amazed and shamed at the same time. And I remember... Uh, nobody left. You know, usually the cre- credits hit and some people get up and start walking out. Not a soul got up. I actually saw it three times in the theaters, same thing each time. And 
I remember I was with a, we, we pre-saw it with, with, a, with another pastor print because we did a campaign with our church and we took our church to it a couple times and, and uh, used it as a, as a tool to, to introduce people to Christ. And, and uh, I remember we, we saw it and we walked to our car and we couldn't say, we just said, I didn't even want to turn the key. We, we literally sat in the car for about 15, 20 minutes. We were fearful of speaking because we were so ashamed and in awe now you see it on the small screen, you look around, you're, you're not as engaged on this big screen. It was quite, it was never, we'd never seen anything like that. The price that was paid was phenomenal. I was speechless. There was a Christian woman in a church in 1865 who played the keyboard. Her name is Elvina Hall. She wrote the lyrics to a song that we sang earlier today. It's called Jesus Paid It All. These are the lyrics. It says, because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find the power in thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He paid it all. He paid it all. There was no plan B. There is no extra credit. There is no penance. It is finished. God is not selling you salvation. He's not offering salvation At half price. He's not offering for you to go 50-50 on the Jesus in heaven thing. Salvation is not an installment plan where he gets the down payment and you finish it off. It is paid in full. And offered to all who will believe. Some of you need to quit trying to earn your way to heaven. You'll never be able to do it. What is your part? Simple. Accept this gift, trust, and follow Jesus. That's it. That is it. Because it is paid in full. The last thing, and I want to close with this thought here, is on the cross, our redemption is complete. Redemption is one of those cool words that you find in the Bible, and again, it's a financial term, and it basically means to require uh, ransom or to meet the ransom's desire. For example, if, if one of you were kidnapped and someone were to say, hey, I'm not going to give back Brian until, um, you know, you give me a million dollars. I'm like, I don't know if he's worth a million dollars. How about I got a hundred bucks? I'm just kidding. Like, all right, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, you, ransom is basically you're held hostage. You're being held captive to an enemy. And you know what? For thousands of years, we have been held captive by the enemy's hands of sin and control in our life. He had held our lives captive, our souls captive. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, ransomed, paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is complete. The ransom is met. You have no hold on this person. Some of you, have given your life to Christ and you're worried about what Satan's influence is on your life, he doesn't have one. 
you're redeemed. The ransom has been met. Now, you've got habits that you've acquired over that relationship with your old life that you've got to die to daily so that you can reflect and know Jesus more. And the enemy will try to attack you and tempt you with the things that pull you down that you struggle with. But you operate out of victory. You are redeemed. You are clean. You are washed by the blood of the Lamb. If anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, you're brand new. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror going, I am this. I'm a sinner. I am, I am ugly. I am gross. I'm a killer. I'm a murderer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. No, you're not. If you are born again, if you are redeemed, it is finished. The ransom is complete. You may struggle with those things. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can finally have victory over those. But you operate in a role of victory, not control. The enemy has no power over you except the power you give him. Because you are redeemed. Let me put it this way. Uh, Sometimes we get coupons in the mail, right? We get coupons in the mail that say, uh, you know, redeem this coupon. You go to McDonald's and you, you you get a free hamburger, right? Or you go to, you know, Chipotle, get a free burrito. Or you go to... You know, churches, fried chicken, get a free bucket chicken, whatever. You know, you pick out your favorite redemption coupon. You, you know the ones. You get the pizza ones. And uh, you go in. If I were to take my McDonald's coupon to Burger King, what would they tell me? They'd say, go home. <laughs> exactly. Because you've tried, haven't you? <laughs> the person who said go home, you've tried. You know. Uh, now, they would probably, now, and if you take that coupon... To church's chicken, they'll say, go home. You have no authority here. That coupon has no power here. Now listen, that valueless piece of paper is only made valuable in the presence of its creator. And in this case, it would be like McDonald's. You know, if I could get a McDonald's coupon, it's only valuable at McDonald's. See, some of you have been running your whole life from the creator. And you feel valueless. You feel like the world is valueless. You feel like your life has been worthless. And God is saying, you know, come to, I'm the creator. I made you. Let me redeem you. Come to me and find your value with me again. Jesus paid the ransom and says, come on home. If you will believe, if you will trust, if you will follow, come to me. I will take your broken life and make it valuable again. And redeem your value. This is what Hebrews 9, 12 says. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The slave was set free. The bondage holder was condemned. Colossians 2, 13 says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the discharge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It is finished. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the enemy, that's Satan and his minion, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphantly over them by the cross. You see, That valueless piece of paper is made valuable again in the hands of its creator. It becomes purposeful again. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it's the last verse I want us to to 
to pray. I want you to watch this video here in a second. It says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus says, redemption, bam, in full. Some of you are like, what? Did, did, did it really include everything? What did Jesus rescue from the cross? What was truly completed on the cross? To give you an idea, check this out. So what sin is keeping you? What sin is keeping you from God? What secret do you have that you think God does not know about or God would not want you because of? You see, there is nothing on this earth or in this life that the cross doesn't have victory over. Maybe you're like, well, you said you don't know me. I, well, I have one word for you, tetelestai. So we say, but 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 all of the, everything. I'm, I'm so angry all the time. But you don't know where I've gone and what I've been. I mean, I'm so perverted. I've done so many nasty things. But but I've actually taken life. But if you could see inside my brain, it's so dirty. There's so much lust. But but Ted, I'm so lazy. I, I don't even. Want, I, I want to reach out to God, but I just I'm just so lazy. I I, I can't. I don't want to work. I don't want to. Reach out to my tetelestai. 
said, I've taken some things that weren't mine, and I've really hurt a lot of people. Tetelestai. But I struggle with unbelief. I don't even know if I buy into everything. Tetelestai. But, I, but I'm a cheater. I cheat all the time. I cheated yesterday. I'm, li- I li- I'm a liar. I lied to my family today. Tetelestai. But I can't stop talking about others. I'm a gossip, but I've hurt. I've hurt people. I've lied behind their back. I've shared secrets. I've been disloyal. Tetelestai. But I've cheated on my wife. I've cheated on my husband. I've committed adultery. Tetelestai. But I've got so much pride in my heart. Tetelestai. It is finished. At the cross, the fountain of grace opens up and flows to all who believe. And our ability to commune with God is now complete. Our value made perfect and direction and purpose is once again realized. I want to pray with you today. It's finished. Your life, your past, it can be finished too. If you'll just trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you are with us right now. And that, God, you are true to your word. God, I know that there are probably people here that, the Lord, we've made mistakes. God, we, we struggle. No one here is perfect. God, we, we can't. We won't be perfect. The law just shows us that we're sinners. But thank God for grace. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for tetelestai. Thank you for mission accomplished. Thank you, God, for paid in full. As we're sitting here with our heads bowed, would you just take a moment just to talk to Jesus and ask him to forgive you? Will you accept his grace? God, forgive me. Just tell him, God, forgive me of my sin. God, you know all that I have done. If there's a certain sin or two that is really heavy on your heart, confess them to Jesus right now. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin when we confess it to him. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to do penance. You don't need to work out your own acceptance with God. It is finished. Will you ask him for forgiveness and say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me clean. Help me to know that it is finished, that it is complete, that my old life is gone. My new life has come. God, help me to walk in that in Jesus' name. We're going to talk more about this next week. Life teams are going to be meeting this week. I encourage you to be in a life team. They're going to be encouraging one another, talking a little bit about the issues of the cross this week. And um, plug into one. And next week, we're going to be talking about the very last, last thing that Jesus said. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.